but honestly if you're a trained designer you're not equipped for that you have absolutely at least i had absolutely no idea on how to plan the marketing strategy in terms of budget hello friend and welcome back to another episode of do i need school to be the podcast in which me alex is going to sit down with creatives and ask them about their journey into the creative field focusing on their education the teachers who shaped them the books who shaped them the movies in general what their journey was like if you're somebody who is thinking about entering the creative field i hope this show will be a resource to you and show you that we all have different paths and they are all valid so let's go welcome back everybody to episode 31 yes we're now in the 30s I'm so excited to start this new chapter of the podcast with uh, Mark Seuss. He's a creative director, the dream job of so many young designers and creatives. And he's going to tell us all about it. He's going to tell us about how he got there, the gaps on knowledge he noticed he had, and why he went back to school to get actually a master's degree so he could become better at those particular key things. We'll also hear about that teacher that kind of looks like Penguin from Batman. I know and much more about his philosophy on the connection between technology and education how he what what is actually a brand this this episode is packed i'm gonna stop talking so we can get to it here is my conversation with mark seuss yes okay hi mark how are you today hey i'm great how are you i'm good it's it's so strange talking to somebody from hamburg after i lived there for years uh, well yeah years germany yeah. for eight years and a huge chunk in a decent chunk in Hamburg. That's what's amazing. it like now today? How how well, does it feel? The restrictions are letting off. Yeah, exactly. It's coming back to life, so to speak. We're having a sunny day right now in mid-April. So the, the springtime is slowly kicking in and Hamburg is so amazingly beautiful. It's rare, but when it's sunny, it's, I think, the most beautiful city in Germany. <laughs> so let's do this. Let's, 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 write, let's dive right in for the listeners. Please, Mark, tell us who you are and what you're currently working on. That's perfect. All right. So, dear listeners, dear, can I, can I call you or do your listeners have a name? Students? Podcast students? I call them friends, to be honest. Dear friends. Oh, well, that's nice. I, I, I call, call them my friends. I call them sweet people. Because the studio I run oh, is called Sweet Spot Studio. Oh, Zeus. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. My last name. Uh, <laughs> so I'm Mark Tadeus Zeus. Uh, Zeus probably translate from German to English as sweet. So that's why, um, yeah, I, I'm a creative director. I run my own design studio called the Sweet Spot Studio here in Hamburg. And uh, so I might just address the students for today as sweet people. <laughs> nice. They'll love it. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah, and I mean... Being a creative director, running a brand building and design studio is a variety of things. It's not just branding or just a specific type of, of design. Um, we can dive into that later, what I do specifically. Uh, on the side, I also have multiple podcasts. I'm a podcast host and producer, and I am a painter. So I do art on the side. So as you already mentioned, it's barely a straight line of I planned this, I executed this, I'm on a straight career path for 10, 20 years. Um, it's ups and downs, lefts and right, back and forth, and I love it. <laughs> That's so cool. And so before we start, can you, I think a lot of people today think brand, and they immediately think about the social media brand. They mm -hmm. think about creating content. Can you tell the audience a little bit what com what is brand development? Like, what are the little pieces that come into a brand? Absolutely. So I... 
we can we can probably define it the best if we talk about the studio for a second because um i say that i help artists and entrepreneurs to find and share their brand sweet spot which means that and i mean in this sentence there's a lot of things what the, what what is a brand i think a brand is to make it simple a brand is the idea the thought that pops into your head if you hear the name or see the logo or s experience any kind of representation of what the brand could be that you have a pretty well defined and shaped idea in your head of what that brand looks like feels like what they stand for what they sell what they use peers what you can expect from them because at the end of the day it's always about the client it's about the customer so what what's in for me that's the question we all ask ourselves if we get in touch with brands or something so as well as we can define that that's what your brand is and that's what brand communication is all about so i think it's yeah it can be a virtual experience a website a video a podcast it can be a real life experience you come into a flagship store how does it smell like what does it feel like how does unwrapping the the e-commerce gift you just get, got from the brand how, how does a client support talks to you how, how does he say hi does he address you as sweet people is it mrs whatever um a, a million touch points and i think you have to just And it's, it's diversifying, you know, we, there's so many new media platforms, so many new outlets, so many touch points that you can force a specific journey that your clients will be on or force some kind of static image on people. So I think you really have to go on a meta level and develop on a very fundamental level. What do you want to stand for? What's your mission? What's your values as a brand? And that's what I help people to develop. That is super clear. And I love how you put it. Like it has all these little components. I, I love that you said smell. I mm -hmm. don't think enough people give smell the credit yeah. it deserves. It's, 100%. um, I was reading this book, uh, it's called taste by mm -hmm. uh, Stanley Tucci, the actor. It's a book. I really recommend people when they don't know what a brand is. I tell them like, read this book. It has nothing to do with branding, but like, stay with me for a second. Um, in the book, he talks about his journey regaining taste because he had throat cancer and the radiation and chemotherapy kind of ruined his taste buds and he lost everything and he needed to get back in touch because he's Italian. So food is a very important part of his yeah. culture. Yeah. And he goes back to Italy and he's like relearning all these tastes and relating the experience. And he said that when he walked into his grandmother's house, It was the smell of it. It was the smell that he could walk into any other house and it was the smell of it that he couldn't describe because it wasn't smell of food. It was smell of the things. It was smell of the environment, of the garden, all mixed up into one experience. And it's that, it's that feeling. It's like, oh, I'm in my grandmother's house now because of this tiny invisible thing. So I love that you said that it's not just the visible stuff, it's also the invisible things that we can touch 100%. upon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I also work for a um, perfume client, so I'm personally also attached to this topic. I love food. I love the the nice things in life. So I think it's, it's yeah, it's also more fun to experience brands like this. And um, as I just said, I also think it's important. I think the age of the big corporations and the big logos and the anonymous, huge, weird brands is kind of over, at least for a big chunk of entrepreneurs today. I think it's about becoming more personal, 
who's the face, who's the founder, who's the creative person, marketing person. I think we have a big longing for real people, authenticity, for real stories. So if I'm talking about brands, I'm not talking about legal entities or fact sheets or numbers. Um, I like to, to, do you know this quote by Muriel Rukeyser? Um, the universe exists of stories, not of atoms. I like to translate this into brands. Brands consists of stories, not of spreadsheets or numbers or anything. So I think to build a brand today, you really have to know who you are, what you stand for, and also you need a face, whatever that might be. It could be a mascot, could be a, a comic drawing maybe, or it should, could be the founder or someone from your team or whoever, testimonials, whatever you might pick and whatever fits your brand. But I think you need authenticity and um, to be in touch with people. And then you can find the right outlets for you. That's a great tip. It's like, who is the inspiration for this? Like, how am I telling the story? And I think there comes storytelling. This is amazing. And how do you get here? Like, how did you get to owning the sweet, to yep. creating a sweet spot for people? Like, how, how did you get here? <laughs> did you always know that you wanted to be a designer, an artist, a creative director? Like, what? T take us back. Take us back to, yep. yeah, making that choice I, I, I love to i love to because this is something you mentioned this in our in a quick pre-interview that there are not always straight lines not planned out artist biographies or creative careers that you can lay down on paper one-on-one um, and i think that's the most exciting thing which also comes you need a lot of stamina and a lot of believe in yourself or your talent or the industry or your clients or whatever so, but let me let me start maybe at the beginning because you, you asked how did you get there and I want to ask what is it there, you know? I think it's work in progress as always with creative workers. So whether we talk about the brand building studio or the artworks I do or podcasts I host, I would say these are entities of what I'm doing. Um, the core of what I'm doing, I think, is creative entrepreneurship. So I combine creativity with experience in founding companies, running companies, implementing strategies. And that's, so to speak, my sweet spot as a, as a person, as an entrepreneur. But to trace it back, okay, I think I have one of my first memories for, for this, if we want to talk about what the DNA of creative entrepreneurship is, I think I was seven or eight years old. And at that time, I was a huge comic book fan. So I started drawing at that age, maybe earlier already. And um, one day I finished a complete masterpiece, a solid 12-page comic book of my own, a weird little story, and I was freaking proud of it. And so I took my pocket money and I went to the copy shop and I made like 25 copies of my little own comic book I did. And I went from door to door throughout the whole neighborhood and I sold this comic book. I have no idea why. It wasn't driven by, I need to make money on this or something. It was just driven by, holy fucking shit. I made a whole comic book. I'm so proud of it. I'm now going to distribute it. And of course, then people gave me some, some gave me candy bars, some gave me a little money for it. And I don't even know what the impact was because I do not really remember what the comic was. I guess at that time I was into He-Man and sword fighting and battles. And I'm pretty sure there were some, a little violence in it and a little fighting and everything, but who cares, right? So yeah, I mean, I, that was a very big point in my life because I understood that from my weird brain cinema the things that I can come up with um, I can 
have impact and I can have maybe a couple of neighbors actually reading my thoughts. And that was a very, sounds like a fun anecdote, but to me that was a big thing because it really made me, I felt like I had an impact for, for maybe the first time with, without the, not in the inner bubble of your family or friends, but basically strangers or people that you randomly meet that can now participate in one of your brain brainchilds, you know? So that was maybe the first creative endeavor I made money of. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so precocious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well oh, and then it, to be, to be very honest, um, I also was very lucky. I think being lucky is a huge part of every creative career. Um, and not meaning being driven by chance. You can try and force your luck and, provoke your luck let's put it that way mm, by not making the safest choices by not going down the straight and easiest paths but um yeah i think i've just been lucky in terms of uh, in my late teens early 20s i did a lot of music and at my early 20s i decided i wanted to go into design and arts and um, i started working at a creative agency out of the blue um so i didn't have any training or studies or anything i just took my drawings I folded them up and i basically went through the phone book and i rang up agencies and like the second agency i rang someone picked up and i'm like hey i gotta work for you i'm a great illustrator <laughs> how about i drop by and show you my stuff and she was totally overwhelmed the the very sweet i worked with her later for years and she's a very sweet secretary she was like the the good soul of the agency and she was like okay sir i don't know who you are but why don't you drop by and I'll make you an appointment with our art department. <laughs> so I just went there. I had literally, I had no idea. I used my computer at home to write songs and play video games. I had no idea on how to work any software program, anything. So I literally just showed up there with a bunch of drawings and a painting or something. And I was like, hey guys, I think you're a creative agency. I think you need something like this. Do you have an illustrator? Do you have a comic guy? If not, I'm free. And for whatever reason, <laughs> this creative director was like, you know what, it's, it's, this guy's crazy, but I kind of like him. So they gave me a job and I worked there for over a year, earning some money. And um, yeah, then one of the bosses was like, hey, um, I like what you're doing and I would totally hire you like full time, full contract. But in my experience, it was great to spend some time studying your craft because just it's for your personal journey, it's a great time. Um, you should do this. And I was like, okay. Um, but I want to keep working. It's fun because, again, to me, it was always fun to explore ideas in the real world. Um, just like really selling that comic book. No, not just... Um, I also don't like these ad and creative awards, but this is something we can touch on later um, because it's from creatives for creatives. It's like this, excuse my French, but it's like the circle jerk of high gloss ideas. It's not connected to the real fabric of what, people need what the world maybe needs to any real problems it's just award show bs i don't like it anyway so um yeah then i went off to to um to study it was a i don't know if that's an international thing i'm pretty sure it is a dual study so 50 percent work 50 percent studying it was actually the first university in uh, germany that offered this it was the dual school in ravensburg no one knows it. That's okay. It's very down in the south at the Bodensee. So I always imagined, of course, to be in Berlin, in Hamburg, living the big city life. 
in between us, I would have never finished even my first semester in the big city. So I'm very grateful that I went to the tiny town and really got down and studied there for three years. And I learned a lot and it's great, great high school. So yeah, and then I came back and I was a media designer and um, I worked for some years in this agency, um, took a little more responsibilities, got my own clients. So I ended up as a creative director with responsibility for teams, for clients, for a lot of money. And I felt like this is maybe another crucial point in talking about creative careers. Um, I experienced at least in design studios and ad agencies, but also in other fields. If you're not self-employed, if you're within a bigger company structure, very often, if you're good at your craft, you get promoted higher and higher and higher and suddenly you, your job changes fundamentally. You take responsibility for teams, how to structure teams, how to run people, um, how to manage projects and clients and you have responsibility for cash. But honestly, if you're a trained designer, you're not equipped for that. You have absolutely, at least I had absolutely no idea on how to plan the marketing strategy in terms of budget. Of course, I can do a great cross-media channel marketing thing from the creative perspective, but I had no idea on how to build and run a business or your team, which actually was my responsibility. So I decided to do a master's degree in innovation management, and I did this in Munich and Berlin. But before I dive into that, maybe I saw you, I saw you reacting to some of the things I said, so this is your chance to totally disagree with me. <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, I, I have so many, like, so many things like really struck a chord with me, especially when you said like, you don't like designer words and I'm kind of the same way. It's one of the downfalls or one something that makes me sad, honestly, about mm. the design industry. It, I don't want to trash in the Netherlands. I really don't want to, but it's hard not to, because it really annoys me. Um, it's specifically the fact that I feel like design is sometimes so nose up in the air mm -hmm. we're designing for other designers and we're forgetting that a lot of people may not understand these concepts or might not have the time to get invested into this performance art sort of stuff it's i ask myself who is this for it's exactly. for people who are highly educated and have um, reasonably high income but let's face it a lot of people are not like that yep. a lot of people don't have access to that and then we create this division with like designers that try to be so inclusive and open-minded but we're alienating ourselves into this yeah. whole little bubble which and that's the question so I, I like to challenge people being like okay who is this for and they're like it's for everybody is it for everybody though is it because would somebody who works construction be interested or would they understand it so I really like struck a chord with me when you said that about design agencies because design awards because sometimes we fall into that trap it's that that circle jerk of these other people think mm -hmm. i'm cool they mm -hmm. understand this color palette 100 and i uh, it just reminded me of there's a um for example the impact that design can have is there's a dyslexia typeface for example i mean you can have an impact if it's not highbrow and if it's not designing for other designers absolutely and i mean you asked do i need school to be a designer probably but do I need school to consume design? You shouldn't. Definitely not. Because as a designer, you give answers, right? You give simple answers to 
probably complex and complicated questions. So um, to decrypt these answers, you shouldn't think too much. They should be intuitive. But yeah, I mean, this comes down to a lot of what I think on the meta level you want to talk about in this podcast when it comes to education and um, school and training and your craft. Because I think these, I mean, it's, I don't want to bash these awards too much because I know a lot of young designers strive to be recognized with some kind of award or something. But if you ask yourself what they really, what's the role of these awards, you know, because probably everyone who works in the creative field in whatever way, they experience the same thing that people get very insecure and judging creative things and rightfully so. Um, if you come to a museum, see an abstract modernist painting, and you say, well, I could do this at home, well, you're probably a fool. So <laughs> if you really dive into those things and try to evaluate them, do they, and especially if you are paying for them as a job, how does this logo, how does this font, this color, this imagery, how does this resonate with me personally, with my brand, with my, I mean, if you own a brand you're building a heritage you have to respect this as a designer so you have to be empathetic enough to understand that people struggle in evaluating your creative output so how how do you bridge that gap and i think this is why awards were invented so well i don't know if this design is quote-unquote good or bad so what can i rely on customer quotes maybe that could work but also then we can put little badges on our chest or on our websites like, hey, I got these and these design and this is shiny and this is a gold button and this looks nice. So and I think you're just trying to bridge the gap of trust really um, between your client and your own creative talent. And I think there are smarter ways to overcome this hurdle of trust or being on the same page when it comes to creative ideas and sharing ideas and participation in the creative process. There are smarter ways to do this instead of just circle jerk award shows. Okay. <laughs> That's my two Sounds cents. Sounds good. Yeah. Hey friend, it's Alex just interrupting this conversation to remind you that in order to have the optimal experience and enjoy all the links in the show notes, you can subscribe to the show on any platform you're using to listen to this podcast. And yeah, it supports the show. It will improve the algorithm for you. So it would show you more shows like this one that you will potentially like. And if you wish to support the show, you can follow us on social media. All the links are in the show notes as well as a link to buy me a coffee, which yeah, we'll help pay for the hosting and I also love coffee. But enough of my babble, let's get back to the show. The worst thing that can happen is people tell you no. It's sorry exactly. I don't have time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and that's a thing. It's 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 and that's a learning process. Also building that callus of being like, I'm I'm ready to take I will take like ten no's and then maybe I'll get a yes and then another my pitch gets better. It's yeah. the process of practicing and practicing and also getting a no that's also a way of learning it's that's a teacher as well like mm -hmm. being like okay you're not gonna die you didn't absolutely. die absolutely and maybe this is something that i can if we want to circle back to how did i end up with the studio or why and how am i doing what i'm doing today because as i said then i um did my master's degree in innovation management and i've have found out something that i really 
enjoyed and em embraced in finding out that um, I think there is a big overlap in terms of what you need as an entrepreneur and as a creative. So they have a very lot in common. It's by far not the same, but there are very similar problems to, to tackle. Little time, little money, you need innovation, you need newness. I mean, it's the same question like, what is good creativity, right? What is, what is a good idea? There's always an aspect of usefulness and newness or innovation quality to it. So yeah, and I, that was really interesting and helped me to find my own positioning in this because I'm, yes, by craft, I'm a, I'm a creative and also by heart, I would say, but I also have the, this entrepreneurial, I should call it fever, I guess, because I want to not only do random things and artworks and all of that, I need this, but I also want to build something and I want to build a team and kind of have an impact in a, on a, on a different level, not just as a creative output. So to come back to, to my own story, to wrap that up, um, after the studying, I quit my job and I moved to Hamburg and became a freelance creative director. And short after that, I founded a company with a fellow student. We developed digital products. He was the tech guy, the tech genius. I was the creative guy. And when you develop products and ideas for other people, it doesn't take long until you come up with your own idea. So we founded a startup, a full-blown software-as-a-service tech startup, um, which went actually great for... I've done it for one year, one and a half years or something and really skyrocketed. We got so much attention and press and that was a great journey um, because at the beginning you really have this founder spirit of sitting in the garage together and, ah, and you, you, you come up with ideas and you found this thing and it's very, this business romantic image that you have of founding a company, that's really what it's like in the beginning. And then the reality hits and you have to scale up and ramp up your business and you need to talk to investors and everything. And to me, at one point, I had a very, I was deeply conflicted between, yes, it was great for your ego. You've been, you were CEO, you ran your own company, you had a team, you got great press and all of that. And it's a great story. The tech guy, the creative. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there's been a big discrepancy of values, goals, style of the startup world that doesn't resonate with my style of working what i believe i should work for i mean i love my job i'm not just working towards an exit i love freedom and inspiration i can't go in an 80 hour work week um so i enjoyed the ride but i found a very good time to leave that company before the next investment round it was it had a strong brand great marketing idea the product was there in the first version and um yeah, we parted ways and beginning of 2020, I founded the Sweet Spot Studio right before the pandemic. And um, it's been two wild and great years, but uh, here we are. Thank you for that story. I think it, it has so many insights into that. That's the vision that everybody has. I'm going to develop an app or I'm going to do this or mm -hmm. I'm going to be a creative director. And it's like there are a lot of things that come in there that have actually connective tissue with creating but it with design and being creative but also like all the managerial stuff it's like do i yep. want to be this tech startup what do i want to do how do i create a business in which i can focus on the things that i want to do and maybe outsource the ones that you don't like i've been freelancing for four years i hate doing my taxes i can't it's too it's 
I outsource that. It's like I found somebody who can do yeah. it for me and do it way better than me. And that's yep. also a process. That's, and that's if we, important to know and learn that about yourself. Exactly. Also being like, maybe you suck at this. <laughs> like the product that I was telling you about, about making it, like I, I am part of, like I did the research, the um, concept, the interviews, the figuring out the story of it. But let's face it, I cannot sew. It's a real object and I cannot sew. My prototype is horrible. So I'm going to look for somebody who can sew for me, who can tell me. Yeah, when I was making it, Jesus, I, there was this there was this uh, sewing tutor actually looking at me because I went to a workshop to just try to get the materials. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you're doing it. Why are you doing this way? Why, why? No. <laughs> and I'm like, it doesn't have to work. 100%. It yeah. has to tell a story. I like what you just said there because it's the same you're a designer yourself and you experience the same thing you've been an apprentice where you learned about the technical side of design and desktop publishing and how to print out getting things ready to print and all of that and there's still it's still a very different job to being a quote-unquote designer after studying the whole thing it's a different process it resonates on a different level with you one is more craftsy one is more artsy um, there are so many varieties that go under the umbrella of design for example and i think that's also nice because you're not a singularity within yourself you always have to see where can i apply my talents and i think we later gonna talk about where to apply your talents and maybe teaching mentoring all of that stuff i know we're going to touch that later but i think to see yourself once you found yourself and maybe your own story or what you want to do and what you're good at and what to me very important what your craft is not only what your what your knowledge base education is whatever that can be it can be a a craft of words of thoughts or whatever but i think the craftsmanship is pretty much undervalued at least in in germany and in academia in germany and um, i really enjoy crafty things maybe painting cooking the craftsmanship part of of designing something by hand i really appreciate it because it connects you to a different to a different realm and yeah once you found this within yourself i really think it's important on where do you want to connect yourself to which industry what kind of people what kind of life work balance all these things are not entirely out of your hand you can totally decide on where do I want to take my talents if you have the possibility and you should really curate that and try that out and don't rush into a maybe simple straight looking career path you know that's the journey of it of having different experiences and being like hey I I'm curious about this from here and I'm going to take this piece from here mm -hmm. and I'm going to take and I think that's the benefit of really going for a formal ish education or taking the time to learn even if that's from a mentor just taking the to having these opportunities to pick up those pieces and if we go a, a little bit deeper into that since you had a formal education and you chose to extend that into a master's degree what do you think the benefits were in that did you have any teachers there that you were like the good the bad the terrible and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like, yeah can you tell us a bit more like in detail like what your journey was like do you have any what were your teachers like do you have any very inspirational ones And I say teacher in the loosest sense of the word. Like a mm -hmm. book can be a teacher. A mm -hmm. trip can be a teacher. Like anything can be teaching you something. So like bring us there. Take us, paint us a word picture. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's two, there's two very different words. The one is teacher, one is mentor. So let's start with the, with the teacher one. 
um, I always remember great teachers. Bad ones as well, but the ones you like to remember are good teachers. And to me, they always stood out because I'm pretty sure in your podcast you already touched on the psychology and the personality types of creatives versus other typologies. And um, with this high openness, um, different varieties in stamina and all these specific character traits that come with creativity, even though it sounds like, yeah, creativity is such a nice thing. Everyone wants it. I would like to paint on the weekends. It comes with a lot of baggage in terms of high openness, um, instability of in a lot of other character traits, so to speak. So I was very... Um, very sensitive towards is there a teacher that is not going for the, the regular scientific let's do maths and physics and all the other stuff that's valued so highly in terms of music or compared to arts so to me it always resonated when someone acknowledged your your improvisational or creative spirit even as a as a child so i remember in school my favorite teacher was the one that just gave us writing assignments no rules like um, usually for homework you needed like the whole textbook and you got to look it up and it was just like fill in the blanks and then you had a teacher that was just like you know what let's tell a story about this and this or you come up with something and you had to figure out the rules along the way and make up your own rules and that, this is something that I really enjoy as a process and which goes into the craft of designing things all the time from grid to developing a literally a, a corporate design where you come up with all the rules and all the all the elements and all that stuff so i think writing your own rules and, and, and coming up with your own structures is something that really resonates with a lot of creative people as it did with me so yeah i remember in school it was those teachers that empowered you to improvise to take the stage literally or more metaphorically on the page and writing and homework yeah and i think later university has been great i must say a lot of great teachers because then you kind of find your tribe and then it resonates with you on a lot of different ways again it shifted when i studied design in a sense that everyone was very wooey and very peaceful and very sensitive because they were very aware of the people they were working with young creative people that can be very easily scared or scarred by criticism and all of that and i remember my favorite teacher was the the absolute opposite he was a giant man smoking his little freaking um cigar in the atelier which of course was forbidden but he didn't give a shit um and he just came in and he was he was a full-blown artist he was like the only quote-unquote real artist in terms of freelance artist he's a painter he's a sculptor he does drawings he's not working commercially and so he was really free-spirited and not a classically trained teacher so he didn't give a shit how we felt he gave us an assignment work with these black and white squares come up with 50 maybe 100 uh, varieties of this specific little thing it was always astronomical numbers he always overwhelmed us completely which i also loved and then you had to hang it up the wall i remember this so this one assignment was okay you have a white square and a black square and you cut up this black square and glue it back on the white square in whatever shapes patterns or designs you want to do and you do 50 to 100 variations of this and then you pick like your favorite two and of these two you again 
do at least a hundred variations. So it's been super labor intense. And then at the end of this two week period or something, he had us all glue our little squares on this giant atelier wall and we assembled as a team, as a, as a, as a class. And he got up there with a cigar, looked at these things and started plucking them off the wall, just commenting like, well, that's bullshit. That doesn't work. What's that crap? And a, and a lot of those, and a lot of us were really scared and hurt and everything, but I really enjoyed it because it felt it's like, so, hey, if this guy will pat you on the back or say, this is good, it really means something. And this is something that I really appreciate because I feel like it's good to be sensitive about people's emotions and everything. But if you're within the safe space of your class, of your atelier, of your studio or whatever, you really need to face criticism to come up with the best idea because that's what counts at the end of the day. You really have to find the best design, copywriting, whatever it is. So to me, the, the teacher I appreciate shifted from the cold, hard world of school and math and everything um, where I love to be appreciated and treated sensitively as a student to, okay, I'm now in an environment where I really need honest feedback. Now, please take off the gloves and really show me what is good, what is bad, what n needs some more work. So to me personally, the, the teachers I appreciate um, shifted. And today I'm a, I'm a lecturer myself at the uh, School of Popular Arts in Berlin. So I teach brand design and brand experience and I give podcast classes there. And I'm trying to do the same because they sign up for a creative and, and, and media uh, studies. And I think they need honest feedback and tales from the quote-unquote real world. So, yeah, that's my teacher experience. I, 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 this in my mind, he's penguin. Penguin, yes, just with a cigar. By the way, do you know who plays the penguin? I know, wait, uh, Colin Farrell. Exactly. I was shocked. Shout out to the makeup department, absolutely amazing job. Yeah, a, a huge misconception in non design, so not on art, art circles in the traditional school system is that when you go to art school, it's all flowers and dancing and mm. create making up brainstorms and stuff like that. But and sketching is like it's actually a lot of hardcore feedback, and that's the part yeah. that I think it's challenging for people that many come from high school when they were like the best art student in their class, and suddenly you're in an environment, people who are maybe better than you and the fact that you have teachers that are going to kind of push you mm, harder absolutely. if they see that you have more to give it's well exactly this if there's no resistance you don't appreciate you can't value the things that go through yeah absolutely yeah totally it's it's kind of the same as and and you can also not force it there, there comes sense that you can it's you have to do it but uh to you as a lecturer like you're that kind of teacher like do you like pushing people but like pushing them and how do you stay away from buttons because we all have like sensitive spots and do you ever think about that it's like can i put how how do you measure that how do you measure how much you can push somebody do you mm. have like a sixth sense mm. well <clears throat> that really depends on what environment we're talking about because let me let me expand on this and then we can we can i, I want to answer your question i mean Teaching at the university is one case where I found myself a teacher or a mentor or something. And then I'm also lucky enough that for some of my clients with the studio, I am also kind of a mentor. 
because um, as I as I said, what what I do with the studio consists of two things. It's on the one hand, of course, it's a design studio, so I help you with design and storytelling and media production, all of this. So I help you share the story you of your brand of your sweet spot, but I also help you find it. And this comes with mentorings, creative coaching, a lot of workshops I do, and I found my own way of of doing them. So of course, you can have like a quick creative team coaching that's one or two days that just burst your imagination and is problem solving in a creative way but you also i have this thing i call purpose quest for i found a lot of entrepreneurs or even artists um sometimes along the way have to get in touch again with their with their founding spirit and with the energy that drew them towards what they do today so it's really like a week-long very intense um, session that i do with them and at this moment i I switch roles between challenging people, being there for them, giving creative input. Um, so, yeah. So to answer your question, I think in a university context, what I experience, unfortunately, is that people are very, very keen on having an incredibly safe space. And... I don't mean this in terms of we don't need safe spaces. Jesus, of course, that's very, very good. But I still think you have to make a... Do you have to separate between what is a political and society necessity to, to change fundamentally? And at the same time, a classroom to me is a safe space for thoughts as well and for expressing your thoughts. So to me, it's important to have an open discussion culture. If you know what I mean, everyone can say, hey, I appreciate this idea. And of course, we go with the good old improv rule of yes and building on ideas, not cutting them down right away and all of that. But still, I feel a lot of students are hesitant today because they censor themselves in their minds so much from um, being PC, from cancel culture, from all of this. And this, which all is, is rooted in very, very good change we need in society but it's sometimes it drips down into your own private creative bubble in terms of what ideas can i come up with or are they immediate cultural appropriation if i want to quote something that's not from my whatever family heritage or something so i feel there's a lot of society change happening which is great but also impacts your freedom of thinking even not even of, of speech but I feel a lot of people are hesitant to really let go and just create in the moment. And of course you will say something that's maybe maybe stupid. I'm not talking about horrible things, you know. I'm just, maybe someone says, oh, I think that's bullshit. And this actually happened in the course. And people were so offended and I really had to calm the whole class because someone just said it's bullshit. And I was like, hey people, really, it's it's a debate. You can't come up with... You can't get better ideas if they're not open for discussion. You know what I mean? You know, I I I took this. I there I love like discussions and mm -hmm. like having open conversations with people. Listen to this podcast on how to have a, a creative discussion, and the person said like, "Okay, we have to apply the rules that we apply in an MMA fight." And I'm like, "Oh, that's that's an interesting concept." It's like in an MMA fight, you have a space in which people can beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. But if that happened in any other scenario, that would be a crime. But exactly. it's two people who know what they're getting themselves into. They have trained, they have prepared, and they're going to do this for a limited amount of time 
with supervision, with clear rules. They all know what's not allowed. They all know what's allowed. They're going to go at it with everything they have, and then they're going to step out. Yeah. And I think that's what you're saying. It's like creating this space in which you can have tough conversations and mm -hmm. ask questions. And I'm not even talking about political statements or anything. We're literally just talking about creative brainstormings where a lot of people censor themselves, and that is a big limitation. And I think this is a very fundamental threat to getting the best out of your education because if you're not if you're not faced also with criticism and people that think in different ways um, and that say hey i think this idea is really bullshit to quote my own uh, my old professor with his fucking cigar coming in there smoking in front of us and just telling us that's bullshit and of course that was kind of offensive but not in a way that scarred us for life quite the opposite it was like hey finally some real feedback or a space where i can debate ideas and i can really say oh fuck man i worked so hard on this and why is it shit and can we make it any better and really get get into it you know and not stay on on the surface of it and do you think this asking questions and open discussion do you think that's going to seep into the future of creative education because i think when we talk a lot about the future we everybody thinks technology they think like mm. oh apps And like, how do you feel about that? How, do, how, how are you, I, I'm, I'm, uh, when I, I cringe, whenever everybody says there's a problem, it's like, let's make an app. Mm -hmm. It's like, I cringe at that knowledge. I, I that non, well, of course, I don't want to say course. nonsense. No, that notion, that yeah, yeah, notion. Absolutely. Well, that's two questions. Let me start with the, with the apps or technology part of the question. And then let's face the future of, of creative education. Well, before I got immersed into the startup world and also technology world, I felt the same as you did. And it's just random. And I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a joke, basically. It's like the punchline of a joke. There's an app for that. Or let's make an app for that. Um, for a good reason. Because it's a tough, competitive, tricky market. And oh, I think I lost my grill sauces there should be an app to track them or whatever silly idea you have they always think oh i should do an app for that and people underestimate what the market and the development time and the skill also from the design perspective which i appreciate in terms of ux and ui design and um, the morality that goes along with this because if you talk about developing apps and technology you are it's like it's like an old fairy tale of black and white magic and that it goes for design there if you develop software and applications you can choose to help people solve problems be on the white magic side of the design or you can do the the black magic part which is something like um, habit forming products which actually means how do we build products that are highly addictive such as instagram tinder TikTok, all these things that fire up your neurons, um, fuck up your hormones and really get you technology addicted, which are totally tested and designed to specifically do this in in a way that, I mean, I, that's not news to, to a lot of people, but if you watch all the documentaries and see how people that actually build these technologies and softwares treat their own kids, None of them gets a smartphone. None of them is supposed to be on social media. I think social media is going to be the new smoking in a couple of years because it's really just, it's really bad, um, even though it's part of my job. And I think you can handle it well if you reflect on it and if you're aware of it's kind of your media intake junk food section. 
you have like this whole grain stuff like reading and educating yourself and sometimes you just need a fatty bag of fries let's let's check out some some instagram videos or something that, that's sometimes, what it sounds <laughs> sometimes you just want a currywurst pizza exactly wow okay if that's what you need exactly exactly it's well i think you need some kind of holy dirty little sinful things in your life it can't be just boring clean whatever you need some something that roughens up the fabric of your of your existence May that yeah, sometimes you need a clogged artery. Other things. Yeah, exactly. Makes you feel alive. Makes you feel alive. <laughs> yeah. That feeling like, oh, my heart is struggling right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm alive. Yeah, 100%. Um, no, what was the saying? There is a saying, nothing gets you closer to God than a really bad hangover. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know that. Love it. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's great. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the that's the first part in, in terms of technology. Um, I'm interested in technology. I, I, I use a lot of it for my clients because it's part of my job to craft customer journeys brand stories across all media and channels um, from being an artist i'm interested in nfts and what's happening and how they impact the understanding of art and the whole art market and all of this um, that doesn't mean that i'm an enthusiast or even an optimist when it comes to technology um, yeah but i'm i'm in touch with all of that stuff And this was the yeah. first part of your question. And I forgot the second yeah. part already. It's, um, do you think in, like, because we have this PC culture and like the getting canceled. of creative do, education. Yeah. Exactly. Do, do you think yeah. th there is a chance or like we should bring more of this open space to discuss things yes. and push and pull to creative, to the future of creative education? Yep. Like, because we're now very focused on the technology part, but the content part is also very important. Yeah. Two, again, two thoughts about this first of all the technology part is pretty easy to answer fuck technology that's your that's <laughs> your that's one way one limited way of expressing your ideas without ideas or creative output there's no need for technology as well also i think the whole development thing is going to be the next blue collar um jobs i mean of course you can imagine yourself as the next steve jobs but that's pretty It's a pretty big bet. Um, it, we need programmers. It's great, but it's a highly not creative, more linguistically and mathematically based job. I think the connection of entrepreneurship, creativity, um, these shiny brands that evolved from the from the world of, of tech are absolutely outstanding personalities and very, very, very rare. So, um, yeah, it's like... I'm, I, I want to be a mechanic. I'm probably going to be Ford. Well, maybe not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, I, I pick up a, a, a brush and a canvas and I'm going to be Da Vinci. Well, probably not. So that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. But um, I think to have the right expectations and know what you're going for, again, to put yourself in perspective and see how your surroundings will resonate with you is a very important step for this. So I think whatever craft you choose for yourself, um, be aware of where you will end up or where you can put yourself in, which brings me to the next thing. Oh, well, one more thought about this, because I see this a lot in trainees, people I work with, students I teach. If you are developing ideas visually for copywriting, for in whatever realm you need it, 
I can only highly recommend you to stay away from technology and use a pen and paper or paper models or cutouts or your hands or clay or whatever you might find, but make it analog, make it non-digital, not connected, stay off the web for, for at least your sacred little creative sessions. I think it's very healthy and really a fundamental step in coming up with unique ideas and good ideas. You can later benchmark them. You can do a competitive analysis. You can jazz it up later digitally. Of course, of course, all of this is fine. But if you want to be really involved in your work and be proud of it and come up with original ideas, what I think is important, um, yeah, don't start by surfing the web or looking for something or spending half an hour picking the right brush type in Photoshop or finding the right font. It just eats away your time and your energy that you should put in really this weird, interesting, dark little jungle of your brain that you maybe go hunt for ideas in, right? So if you waste this on, on weird tech stuff, it's gone. It's just, a, it's just a tiny little spark that you can maybe pull out of thin air. And if you miss the opportunity, it's, it's going to be gone you can recreate this i think so yeah if you go ideas hunting um do it i love that i i love that and i think i think my favorite part of it is that it's very empowering it's it's not about expecting these creative institutions or mentors or teachers to do it for you it's it's about you yep. and it's not saying like it's your fault if you don't succeed maybe success is going to look different than you think it's mm -hmm. going to look you're going to start in point a you want to get to point b but it's not going to be like this straight line it's going to be a squiggly line yeah. and then b maybe wasn't where you thought it was maybe it's a completely different place i love this episode i think it was so insightful mark and <laughs> thank you we have made it to, we have made it to the end Amazing. i am so happy that we did this and this is your space to plug in like do you is there anything you want to promote are there recommendations is there a movie a book something that you think the the friends the listeners the future professional creatives would like to know about yeah, tell yeah. us about you and what would you recommend us? Well, I love that. Thank you so much. Well, a book I would recommend to the sweet people listening um, is the book I just mentioned. Um, I can send you a link. You can put it in the show notes. It's from the Swiss author Max Frisch. And he just wrote a book full of questions about life, about friends. It's I think it's for at least the German podcasters. I know it's the 101. Um, maybe it's, it's nice for you as well. And I think it's really cool to go into a deeper level of asking yourself these questions or even to get to know your friends better. Next time you sit by the campfire or you go on a weekend vacation with whoever, if you want to get to know them and really reach new terrain with them, um, you can pull this book out and debate some of those questions. It's really nice. So, and I also use this book for, for my podcast, which is called The Sweet Spot Podcast. It's the, um, it's the podcast for my studio. Um, which also is in English since this year. It's been in German the last year. Now it's in English. Um, you can find it wherever you listen to your podcast or on my studio website, sweetspot-studio.com. So you find more tales from other creatives and some creative insights and workflows there. And yeah, if anyone listening wants to learn more about me or the studio or how they can find their sweet spot, same address, also on Instagram and all the other social networks. So maybe I see you on the other side. 
<laughs> nice. Everything will be linked in the show notes. What? Thank you so much, Mark. And I hope you had a great day. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been good fun and um, talk soon. And we did talk soon, actually, because we did an episode swap. So Mark was in my podcast and I was on his podcast. And you can find a link to that episode in the show notes, as well as a link to all of Mark's stuff. I mean, I mean, this, this conversation was so insightful. I was so engaged the entire time into what his experiences. I really had a picture of that teacher in my mind. Maybe he's not exactly Colin Farrell's penguin, but I had it. It was there. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned a lot. I hope it piqued your interest and that you're going to go check out Mark's work because it's really awesome. His paintings. I, I, I was entranced. But yeah, thank you so much for being here with me and I hope you enjoyed it. And as we come to the end of the show, I want to say thank you for joining me on another episode and giving me your time. I hope you're enjoying these conversations. Please subscribe to the show, give it a review or give us feedback. It's always welcome. Are there questions you would like to ask creatives or do you have somebody you would like to recommend for the show? You can reach out to me on social media or email, which is all linked in the show notes. Also, special thank you to Anne Catherine and Marcus for supporting the show through Buy Me a Coffee. Love you guys and I appreciate the encouragement. Also, thank you to Ro Halfheide for the music for this show and to Immaculate Lemarin for her help proofreading the transcripts and helping keep the podcast as accessible as possible. To close, thank you for listening again this week and I hope to be back in your ears very soon. Until then, keep learning and stay curious. Bye.